The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's uh, regular podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And by Wayne Johnson, political cons- veteran con- political consultant. Uh, <laughs> Wayne, thank you very much for speaking with us today. I'm, I'm delighted. I've got a bunch of things I wanted to ask you, most of which we talked about before the podcast began. So we can, we'll condense it. But um, as far as the election right now in California, the gubernatorial race, you mentioned you're, you're doing John Cox. I'm working, I'm working, working with John Cox. Sure. Um, what, how is this election shaping up for you? Especially, uh, we got a Republican candidate in a largely blue state. How's this? Is this the uphill, the traditional uphill fight here, or what's going on? Well, I think that that uh, for a traditional Republican, it it would be a, a little bit tough. But you've had non-traditional Republicans, business guys, uh, and and women. Uh, 18, I think, around the country that have been elected in the last cycle oh. uh, and, and in a lot of Democratic states uh, because uh, they're disruptors. They, the people, Voters, whether they're Republican or Democrat, there's a point at which they say, you know, this isn't really working and the system's rigged against us and the middle class is just getting uh, pummeled and we're not getting full value for mm-hmm. our tax dollars. And people just want you know, somebody competent to step in. They want some adults to be in charge. And so you've seen the disruptors have been winning elections all over the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's true. If they, they can come from the left or the right. You know, they can come from the Democratic Republican side. Uh, can they but, come from the, do you think they can come from the right in California, given its statistical makeup of reaps and downs? I, I think that we, we tend to think in this sort of uh, linear left-right, and, and voters don't always think that way. Yeah. You know, a lot of that's generational. <clears throat> and uh, it's much less likely to see that now. You'll find, for instance... Uh, uh, if you ask people about the corrupting influence of special interest money, which is what John Cox talks about a lot, uh, you'll find that that resonates with every single voter segment. It's, mm-hmm. it's a 90-plus percent issue with Democrats, with declined states, and with Republicans. I mean, Bernie Sanders, people say, you know what? He's right. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying, that there are issues that transcend, uh, you know, the purely partisan and partisanship uh, is less and less important. It's, it's really ironic, you know, that uh, uh, the country is uh, supposedly, you know, so sharply divided, but it's not necessarily on on partisan bases. You're seeing the Democratic Party is being ripped apart. Like the mod Dems, <clears throat> conservative Dems. And, yeah. Well, I think if you look at... I mean, in California. You look at what happened this past weekend, you know, and, and you know, nobody could get an endorsement out of that convention. Nobody running for statewide office. Mm-hmm. You have a Newsom Gooden, Dianne Feinstein Gooden. I mean, you see uh, disruptor candidates, you know, and you see that uh, uh, that party is being uh, pulled apart uh, by forces that are not partisan. They're not, we're more Democrat than you are. You're, you know, not as Democrat as we are. It has to do with different issues that uh, people want to see to the forefront. To me, that looks a little bit like what happened with the Republicans and the Tea Party. Is that kind of how you would see that as well? I think it, yeah, I think that uh, that's not an unfair criticism. I do think that... I'm not even saying it's a criticism. I'm just saying it's an observation. Well, or an observation. I mean, I I think that it's that uh, the Republican Party, when you have uh, uh, structures that... There's a a perception by California voters uh, across the board 
that there's an us against them and that the people in the elective office and the people in, in Sacramento are not really representing their interests. <clears throat> I think Gavin Newsom ironically probably said it the best. He said, you know, you look at all the things we've got going wrong in the state, the highest poverty rate and, and you know, the taxes, you can't afford a house, et cetera. And he said, all of this happened on our watch and we have to own it. Well, he's right. Well, he's right. They need to own that. And so that so it ceases to be partisan at that point. It, it becomes, okay, maybe you meant well, but you really did a bad job. And we need somebody who, you know, maybe even shares some of those values, but is going to be competent about it and get the job done. How are you going to, how are you going to build more houses? Well, the first thing the Democrats want to do is, you know, add a $75 tax. Well, I don't, I don't know how that increases, you know, housing or makes it more affordable. Does the social media piece, you know, we were talking earlier, does the social media piece, how does the social media piece fit into modern campaigning now? I know we've oh, completely revolutionized it. Uh, uh, I would say that our digital, our, our media company is probably 80% digital now, and it used to be 20, you know, percent. Wow. Uh, so you mean like in terms of the work product you do for clients, about yeah. 80% involves yeah. social Yeah, it's media. Yeah, it's, it's heavily... Uh, that way. And the reason why is because you have to understand that, that the technology allows you, if you're a Republican, for example, in California, and you, and you want to talk to people on social media, uh, you can, you could, you know, buy an ad on Facebook, talk to everybody, spend a dollar, <clears throat> but, you know, only 29% of those are going to be Republicans, and of the 29%, how many are going to vote in a primary, you know, and suddenly you, you look at that and you say, well, boy, that's a very small percentage, but what if you can take and match the uh, voter file against Facebook, so you now have a, a custom audience where you're only talking to the Republican voters you want to talk to. You're only talking to the Democrats, or only talking to decline the state. Now, the, the voter file, if you get that, say, from the Secretary of State's office or the 58 counties, that's essentially public information. But the but getting information from Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. How does that work? Do they sell packages of info to consultants, or how does that work? No. Uh, well, our company. <clears throat> Excuse me. Our company actually pioneered that uh, uh, gateway to Facebook. And if anybody wanted to look at gatewaymedia.com, they could see all this in operation. But anywhere in, a, in the United States, in all 50 states, if you're a candidate running for office, you can go on that website and you can say, I want to download this voter file with these selects. I want, to, I want female Democrats, 18 to 35, whatever. You pick whatever select you want on the site yeah. and you just push a button and the next day that audience will appear in your Facebook uh, uh, business manager as, as an audience that you can exclusively talk to. So that's enormously... That's, that's like mega, metadata, right? It's not by names or is it by names? It's not... Well, no, we're putting, we're putting the actual physical voter name and we match it. We're hardwired into the back end of Facebook to you know, be able to track results. Okay. But, but we're giving them the actual voter list and they're matching it. Yeah. And then that list of what matches shows up uh, in that uh, Facebook account. Okay. And you can so, see the frequency of their voting over the last election, election before that, election before that. We do that. that when we choose the list that we're going to send yeah. to Facebook to match. Now, that was, that was very difficult to, and, and, and rare to do in 2014 yeah. when Facebook first allowed this and we were one of the you know, first companies to do it. Now it's very common. There's a lot of people who do it. Campaigns could do it on their own. Huh. Uh, there's no secret sauce anymore. Uh, but if you don't target, uh, because these are... Uh, uh, programmatic 
ad buying platforms, if you have three or four campaigns in the city that are that are targeting yeah. voters, you know, different ones and it's overlaying, and somebody comes along and just buys an ad and doesn't target, well, the price has been bid up for the voters, and so the inventory that's left are the non-voters. And so somebody who's... Uh, coming in and not doing targeting, well, they're only talking to people that aren't going to vote. So. It's the biggest, I mean, talk about targeting. The way I understood it, at least earlier, was um, with cable, you could get an ad buy that was specifically targeting neighborhoods, uh, small areas, rather than having to do a general buy, which costs a lot of money, that you might target an entire Senate district or Assembly district right. or something. What, um, we, what we do today is a little bit, a little bit more advanced. Uh, uh, Comcast, for example, uh, has recently, just as first cycle, we're going to be able to match uh, and go in and, and select voter file matches in households. Down to uh, the specific household? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's set box targeting uh, based on uh, your registration. So, Does it matter if I'm a, like I'm a Comcast customer, does it matter um, if I don't take Comcast TV but I take Comcast Internet, does that do I need a box? I mean, do I have to have a cable box for you to be able to target me? Or uh, what, no, what? What is your service? What are you using? It's a time? broadband. I take broadband from Comcast. Okay. Well, no, this is if you're if you're watching, you know, cable television shows. On, okay. Yeah, it's advertised. So I'm not completely naked out there. Yeah, and we do the same thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a voter file match uh, we do uh, with satellite television. So anybody oh, getting wow. you know D two, we're doing satellite. We're doing voter matches. Uh, uh, with Google, uh, YouTube, right down the line, uh, and people say, "Well, you know, you're targeting me, you know, and so you know, I'm more likely to get the ad." I'm not. Well, what happens is you get ads more, that you're more likely to be interested in, but it also stretches the money and reduces the cost of campaigning. Uh-huh. Okay. You know, big, uh, broadcast television is pretty expensive, particularly if uh, you're talking to who is a Republican who's going to vote in the primary. You know, in a in a heavily Democratic area you know in in the old days you said well we can't advertise there well now we can go in and we can advertise but we can limit the audience so uh yeah people so that that old calculus about 80 percent of the we used to always use that as rule of thumb 80 percent or 90 percent of the campaign cost was television but oh that's not true that's not true oh no not 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 by a long shot uh there's, you know, there's, uh, I counted the other day, 11 or 12, 14 screens in my house, you know. And there was a time, remember I, I spoke to Comcast execs one time about 12 years ago. And, and at that point I said, there's nine screens in my house and your product comes on two of them. You know, you got a problem. You know, this, you're going to see a, you're going to see a fracturing of the marketplace. You're going to see your product is going to be delivered in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And there was a lull, but now, now you can get. Uh, any show you want to watch or whatever, you can get it on your uh, your iPad or your cell phone or whatever. So the screens have really become access points to... Uh, yeah. And that includes like laptops and desktops yeah. and all... the targeting has become targeting of individuals, not, you know, not demographics, yeah. not this, not that. You know, we're not targeting regions or cities or blocks, certainly not blocks. I mean, that's uh, because, I mean... Uh, I, I think uh, voters on both sides of me are different political party than I am. Well, what good does it you know, do to target my block? Do you even use paper anymore? Um, uh, I guess mailers, I don't know, slate I mailers? That, I think that, yeah, I think the direct mail uh, certainly has a place. Uh, it's, prim- it's primarily uh, used, if you talk to most, I mean, I, I talked to uh, Hal Malchow, one of the big Democrat 
uh, mailers and this was uh, three or four years ago they had stopped mailing anybody under 35 and they're up to about 40 now they don't mail anybody and a lot of people will cut it off at 45. So the older you are, the more more likely are you that you're going to be responsive to mail. The younger you are, the more you're going to say, what is this? I'm only 23, but I get all kinds of you mail. You get all that mail, yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm so great. <laughs> well, I think we saw that happening. We saw that uh, you know that uh, mail was not moving voters in the, you know, that were younger because they weren't, yeah. they weren't interacting with it as political information. Uh, in the same way that you saw that retention... Here's a, here's a little fact for you. Retention of information for somebody who sees something on television, how many times do you have to see that spot? Well, they may, maybe a, a particular spot before you're going to get recall is four or five or six times. You may only be at, at four if they're seeing it on a handheld device and get, you know, get very high retention. And the reason is because when you're looking at your phone, you're looking at your phone. But when you're or a lot of people when they're sitting there watching television, they're also looking at their phone, or they're or they got their iPad, or they're doing two or three other things. There's multiple devices that are in play, and the younger you are, the more the more likely you are to be able to manage and and have two or three you know devices going at once. Do you have enough There's flexibility? I mean, targeting phones. Uh, do, do you have we're to tailor individuals? Yeah. Okay. But the ads, of course, have to be. Uh, Redesigned, you know, for each platform, whether it's a, yeah. a phone or an iPad or whatever. So, got to make sure that that's true. But that's always been true of web pages and so forth. Yeah. So, what you're seeing is the ability to target, uh, which has been a boon to uh, lower budget campaigns. I mean, I've seen people that only uh, uh, download their voter file in a little city, and and they'll conduct their whole campaign on Facebook because they can talk to voters every single day. Hmm and say, I'm going to be over at the park today, we're going to be doing this, or I'm going to be over here, or this event's coming up. And they have a conversation with them, and they keep it conversational. It's not the heavy-handed, you know, uh, beat them over the head kind of advertising. And their entire campaign will be run on Facebook. So is, is that a trend and going forward? The, the cheapskates, like me, maybe if they wanted to run for public office, they could actually do that with less, you know, less fiscal pain than I think, they do now. I think that uh, when you get, uh, by the time we get to November, you know, it's going to, there's going to be television ads, you know, and, yeah. and there, there will be in the primary be a lot of television advertising from uh, probably uh, three or four of the Democratic candidates. Certainly, yeah. uh, John Chung and Villagrosa and Newsom are going to be angling, uh, trying to make sure that they're in the top two. And we're going to be doing what we need to do with John Cox. Uh, you know, he's he's in it to win it, and so I mean, he's uh, pretty much uh, said he's going to do whatever it takes to be in the top two. So it's going to be an interesting. Does a wedge develop scene. there for you? If they're they're trying to differentiate themselves from each other, uh, so on the Republican side, do you see do you see the ability to to drive wedges between them even further? Do you see? I don't I don't think that that's our uh, primary mission in the primary because. Uh, even though it's an open primary, you can vote for anybody you like, the reality is you look at every survey, Democrats are choosing among the Democrat candidates, Republicans are choosing yeah. among the Republican candidates, and, and the decline to states are splitting out, you know, 60-40. They're splitting out pretty much like uh, the partisan breakout. And so you really don't see that. Uh, even though it's a, 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 a open primary, yeah. okay. voters act like it's a closed primary. Our pollster one time on, uh, Paul Mitchell, when he was on uh, our podcast, uh, and he told others, you know, if, there, if, uh, if, if it was the top two uh, and it wasn't a Democrat and a Republican, but if there were a couple of Democrats, he was going to run naked in Capitol Park 
And he wound up. So you're not saying anything. He did. He, he did, did run naked. Uh, in, well, we the saw park. the clothes, and we saw. I think his phone. He took a pile of clothes. I don't know if somebody actually. I, I I'm pretty sure he did. It was, uh, I believe it tape. was that night. I believe it. there was a uh, security footage that was reviewed, not by us, but <laughs> yeah. by someone who yeah, confirmed somebody, that he did yeah. indeed. No, I. I'm pretty sure he did. So yeah. will Wayne Johnson run naked? No. Okay. No. I don't blame you. I wouldn't say <laughs> no, that. No, because that uh, that would that would yeah that would not be a pretty sight. <laughs> Can but, I ask you? What but I, oh, I'm okay. But I'm perfectly all right if Paul wants to run naked. <laughs> yeah. Paul, is, Paul is actually very carefully held back from any yes. predictions of that nature. Well, his prediction is that a Republican is going to be in the runoff. Yeah, and but I, he and I agree but he has not him. actually backed that prediction with. A guarantee that and, I, run and I think that I think we should publicly call him out right yeah. now. <laughs> but I think he's safe. I think I think Jody Hicks right now is right. look across the across the yeah. internet here is looking at us askew. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let me so, ask you one thing that we we talked a little bit about earlier: um, uh, the difference between working in a foreign country, doing what you do, political strategist for uh, candidates in the Balkans or the or Russia or somewhere else, as opposed to working here. Uh, what are, uh, how is it different, and uh, how do you deal with it? And a lot of times you don't even speak. I mean, who speaks Croatian, for example, or whatever they speak? Croats do. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that the um, I, I, I got my feet wet in, in international work in '88. Uh, I was at a conference uh, with uh, where I. A friend of mine was uh, Klaus Golenbach, who was the Free Democrat Party, and Gennady Gnasmov was there, uh, who was foreign minister of the Soviet Union. And, and they ended up, uh, while I was there with them out in the hallway, uh, their common language is English, and they're on the phone to their respective capitals, brokering a deal to bring Gorbachev to Berlin. You know, and so I realized at that moment that that all of my uh, assumptions that things were wired and things were, yeah. you know, all perfectly planned out and you know events you know really didn't forget that right? yeah and i realized that it re- they're they're flying by the seat of their pants and they're calling audibles and and so uh it really is open field running and so i spent the next couple of years you know back and forth a lot uh in uh hungary and uh, poland and czechoslovakia and other at that time czechoslovakia yeah. now the czech republic and slovakia um uh, ended up working with Democrats and Republicans. They, the, the Europeans could very seldom tell us apart. You know, when the Americans we get over, there, we thought we were so different uh, from one another. But when we got over there, you know, the, the Europeans uh, behind the curtain, they all thought, thought we had the identical opinions about everything. So it was, you know, I read in uh, I think it was uh, Theodore White in Breach of Faith. This is a Watergate uh, related book years and years ago. But uh, he said oftentimes people. One in, in the government, they liked reading in the newspaper things that the events had happened because it gave it cohesion and they were organized and it didn't look like it was scattered and everything was chaotic. There, it gave it sort of structure and cohesion and they felt like, hey, we really are kind of organized. And the reality is there's a lot that goes on, like you're saying, here overseas, but all, everywhere that's not organized at all and there's a lot of seat of the pants flying. Well, I, you know, I, but in, in terms of the press, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I remember when I, I, I was in. Uh, if you say anything bad, Tim is going to. Oh, okay. I was I was in Zambia, uh, <laughs> and uh, after the Chaluba election, and I met with Kenneth Kunda, who was the you know the first president and so forth. But one of the things we talked about was it was the the nature of the press. Be, uh, I talked about uh, you know about how being a typical American about how great things you know in my country and 
Uh, and he said, well, you know, the point is you got one newspaper, you got one or two, what, three newspapers in New York, you got two in Chicago, you know, and you go out on the street, there were 53 newspapers, daily newspapers wow. in the Capitol, you know, and so... Hard to uh, imagine. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and that's that's true a lot of those, those yeah. areas. Now, of course, it's all changed because of digital, um, and there's a, a lot more fracturing, but, uh, you know, we sometimes think that, that um, we do feel a little more organized because everybody watched Walter Cronkite or Dan Rather, one or two or three people, and there, and there was sort of a uh, homogeneity to that yeah. uh, uh, that that made us maybe think that we were, you know, had all these shared opinions. And I think that's part of what we're seeing in the disintegration of, of, of uh, uh, or the perception of disintegration of shared values. There are, there is some damage being done on the, on the shared value front. Uh, but, uh, and I think that's being, uh, uh, I think that the, the way people are able to cocoon themselves on social media, I think, uh, contributes to that. Uh, Everybody used to watch Walter Cronkite or, um, not McNeil there, well, that too, but also Huntley Brinkley. Sure. Uh, oh, yeah. Or people saw the Ed Sullivan show every Sunday at 8 o'clock. I just everybody, everybody did. Everybody did that. So you had a shared experience at school on Monday, you know, this is you what know, we did. We know. talked before before we actually are talking now, but we, we talked about the Russian influence on the elections. And, and it, it's really fascinating uh, when I, because we're in the business and we're, you know, we're, Looking at Facebook constantly, we got over a hundred Facebook clients, and we're you know we're we're, we're there you know, and uh, were there you know memes they generate and put out? Yeah, sure there were. You know, uh, you know, we've seen them after the election, you know. But would anybody hire those guys? I mean, I, I looked at the amount of money they were targeting. Whether they spent two thousand dollars Wisconsin and, and maybe less in in Pennsylvania. I mean, you're looking at at their targeting was just horrible. They weren't even in the target states, you know. And then, you know, if you get a meme, it's going to be shared by people with the people they agree with because that's what we do. We, we sort of find our little tribe. Most people do on Facebook. And so I can't imagine anybody's vote was changed by getting one more, you know, anti-Hillary or anti-Trump, you know, meme. Did that really change anybody's opinion? Really? So you don't think it made you don't think it impacted the election? I, I don't think it impacted the election uh, in in a in a uh, well. I think the jury is still out, and we don't know. But there's something we don't know yet. What we've seen so far was not big enough. And we, I've we've got clients, uh, and and many agencies do that may be spending you know fifty or hundred thousand dollars you know a month on Facebook. You know, wow. and, and if you have you know you got you know hundreds of clients that are doing that I mean well look at your Facebook feed you're seeing ads I mean, uh, and that's that's dwarfed by what they're spending on radio and television you look at the amount of money that was spent in a you know, billion dollar campaign and a tiny well, little bit no, how do you you know as I understand a lot of it was not the, the paid advertising but it was creating memes that then were shared and I forget there was <clears> millions <throat> of shares and, and that's where I I mean at least as reading you know, reading the news, it seems like that's where there was. Well, I think there's a couple of things that go on right. there. One is that if you want to look good, you you know you spend five bucks and, and and you buy a share service to make you know to share your <laughs> your memes. I don't know how much of that went on, but people share uh, with their friends. You can't share to people that aren't your friend. I mean, you can share to their friends and their friends, but you can't. If I share something, uh, it's 
it's not going to go to somebody who I have no contact with. Right. And so it tended to just be reinforcing media. Um, a lot of people now. I have a lot of Democrat friends, so I think I'm a little more unusual uh, because I, you know, I cultivate that. I want to get a lot of people you know, with different opinions, and I go out of my way to make sure that happens. Plus, I have a lot of Democrat friends. So, um, uh, but I think that there's a lot more uh, uh, sort of cocooning that people do, and, and they tend to uh, have friends that share their opinions. So when you share a meme in that case, you know, it's people that already agree with you. You know, I mean, how many votes do you change? Okay. Um, well, on that note of sharing and agreement and all the t- good touchy-feely stuff, we'll wrap up this podcast right okay, now. Well, I want to add one thing. Wayne Johnson, thank I, you very much. I don't want to say anything. Oh, okay. I don't want to say anything that sounds in the least bit way like I like I'm fond of the Russians. Because oh, no, we can put that I spent in. my whole t- oh, we, we can edit that in. That's not <laughs> because I have because I spent most of my life, you know, sure. in, uh, in in. in uh, Central and Eastern Europe and different places in Africa and other places where uh, I did not find them uh, the chummy pals that, that, that some people seem to think they are today. You know, I just think the whole thing, as an outsider, you know, as a reporter looking at it, I think the, uh, the whole mechanics of polling, of, getting, of sampling opinion, of targeting, it just seems so different in Hungary, for example, or um, the Balkans, and it is in Wisconsin or California. It just seems so... I mean, not only the language stuff, but the the cultural stuff, the way people live, and the way they get information. It seems like well, that that's all true. But the but the the strategic. I mean, we've done door to door polls in countries that didn't have you know we didn't have reliable telephone service. I mean, yeah. so the, but the collection of data and the ability to to, to make strategic strategic decisions. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of that 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 translates quite well. Uh, what doesn't translate well is trying to, you know, create spots or ads in a second language, which, which, which was some of the problems, I think, with the Russian stuff. <laughs> but uh, be that as it may. Well, thanks again. Thanks for you all your bet. time and uh, for taking the time to talk with us. Tim sure. Foster, thank you very much. Thanks, John. Wayne, we'll see you next time around. There's a part two in this somewhere, so we'll go All right. <laughs> we'll do. Uh, this is John Howard with Capital Weekly, and thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time around.